This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Welcome back to season two, Crimeologists. We are so excited to have you back for season two of From Crime to Crime. Crimeologist? Did you spend the whole hiatus thinking of that? Not the whole hiatus, but I was thinking of some new ones because I was thinking about this. Crime Junkie has crime junkies, so we can pick our own fan base nickname. And I think in season two, that's when we're going to hammer it home. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I bet you guys all missed us. Well, hopefully not. We just came back from a really good Instagram Live with Drip Social, and we had a great time. So hopefully you guys caught us on there. Yeah, that was actually a really fun interview. It really was. For anyone who wants to check it out, check it out on our social media at From Crime to Crime on Instagram. It was really, really fun. Thank you again to Ty and Sam for having us on. We we really did have a blast. Yeah. So we're we going to get into this case tonight because it's a pretty good one. It is a good one. We picked a really well-known case for to start off season two, and... Eric and I were both very excited. We agreed on this one very quickly. Um, Erica knew all about it again. And like myself, I had heard of it and forgotten everything about it. So (laughs) it's a good chance for us to revisit. Yeah, it is a very well-known case. But still, when I tell people about it, they're like, who? I'm like, are you guys shitting me? You didn't watch every minute of this trial like I did? And I think people know the name Jody Arias, but I think knowing the story, people forget. But yeah. to tell the story as clearly as possible, we need to start with a little bit of background on Jody Arias and Travis Alexander. Yeah. Jody Ann Arias was born July 9th, 1980 in Salinas, California. She was the oldest of four kids, and her dad was a restaurateur. I like that word, <laughs> restaurateur. And they moved a couple times in her childhood, but overall she was pretty normal and well-adjusted. Her parents, though, were pretty strict, and her adolescence seemed normal. She had good grades, but things took a bit of a turn in eighth grade. Her parents caught her growing a marijuana plant on the roof, and instead of, you know, talking to her, punishing her, kind of going the normal route, they they decided to call the cops. (laughs) And I think it's really funny that they called the cops on a pot plant in their own house. <laughs> I just think that that's a really funny thing. Well, and their kid was so young. Like, I'm sure that was their problem at that point. Like, when the cops showed up, they're like, yeah, we're not taking a 12-year-old to jail. Like, <laughs> if we're taking anybody to jail, it's going to be you two. You own this house. I didn't think about that, but you're probably right. Yeah. They probably were like, uh, well, this is this is illegal. Yeah, it seems but, a little over the top. <laughs> her parents say that this is when she started lying and hiding things from them. What? And Jody was the type of girl who always had a boyfriend. She kind of morphed into the personality, into whatever current boyfriend that she had at the time. I've heard her described as a chameleon yeah. because she just absorbed whatever person she was around. Yeah. We all know people like that. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I think I've even described myself as a chameleon at times, but not so much where I change everything. I kind of have my core of what I believe and then I'm able to adapt to other people's surroundings. And I think that's important to have, but not completely change who you are. Yeah. She took it to the next level. Yeah. And by junior year of high school, she was already dating a guy that was three years older than her. And she had moved out of her parents and was with this boyfriend. Jody was a part-time photographer and server to support herself. She was working at a restaurant when she was about 21 and she met a guy named Daryl Brewer who was quite a bit older than her, about 19 years. 
And they started dating seriously in 2003. A couple years later, they bought a house together and moved to Palm Desert, California. This was at the height of the housing bubble in California, right before the market crash. So she needed extra cash to help pay for this house. So she got a different job working at a prepaid legal, which is an MLM or a nice way to say a pyramid pyramid scheme. scheme. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Multi-level marketing is just pyramid scheme in different words. Right. Now we're going to tell you a little bit about Travis. So Travis Victor Alexander was born on July 28th, 1977 in Riverside, California. So the 909. Grant, you love the 909. No, 909's gross. I don't like it. They even <laughs> they don't even like themselves. They changed themselves to the 951 because they got associated with the 909. So <laughs> no, don't like the 909. 909 doesn't like us. It's fine. It's a California thing. Yeah, he was the oldest of his siblings also, and his parents were like a little bit into meth, which is very 909. (laughs) That is very 909. What do you mean a little bit into meth? I think either you're into meth or you're not into meth. Well, they were into meth, so. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, and later on, I'm pretty sure they got clean, but when he was growing up, it was bad, and he had a terrible home life, and him and his siblings were neglected and abused pretty bad. And by the age of 11, his grandmother, his paternal grandmother, um, eventually took him in. And later on, she would eventually take all seven of his siblings in. Seven siblings? Man, they're just doing meth and having sex. So, well... What a life. His grandmother was a devout member of the LDS church. So that kind of... I mean, they're expected to have a lot of children. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But Travis really dove headfirst into this faith with her it you know was one of those things that he felt like saved his life and it really made him come out of his shell and became more confident and outgoing and it helped him blossom in a way and do well in school and it was really good for him so he spent two years of his life in Denver on his mission which is common and then he went back home and he got a job with prepaid legal the pyramid scheme but he was actually very good at it Because he was a natural salesman and he had a huge network within his LDS church. So he really thrived. Oh, yeah. He probably did super well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. And he even started moving his way up and he was doing a lot of public speaking engagements for them. And by 2004, he had decided to relocate to Mesa, Arizona. He was looking to buy a house, which is easier in Arizona. And the Mormon population in Mesa is huge compared to where he was living in California. Yeah, so this made just perfect sense for him. Exactly. So he bought a five-bedroom house in Mesa, and he rented out some of the extra bedrooms to fellow single Mormon men to help him with his mortgage because also he bought a house at the height of the housing (laughs) market. So... Even though it was in Arizona, it was probably a little less expensive than it would have been in California. It was still high. But he was doing really well. So this brings us up to September of 2006. And Travis is at a conference in Las Vegas for prepaid pyramid scam. I mean, prepaid legal. And he meets a young, attractive blonde named Jody, And she's also there and she's new to the company. Just kind of getting a feel for everything. And... He asked her to be his date to one of the executives dinner and initially she declined because she hadn't brought anything to wear, you know, at least nothing that formal. But Travis's friend, his wife actually brought a second dress and so she lent it to Jody and off they all went to their gala. Yep. 
and sparks were flying immediately between Travis and Jody. And they spent that night together. And the I don't know how long the conference lasts. I should have looked that up. But the sparks were flying immediately. And when they left Vegas, they stayed in touch. Jody, soon after this conference, would go home and break up with Daryl. And her and Travis started this long distance relationship over the phone. And didn't she continue living? With her ex-boyfriend, though, even after she broke up with him? Yes, because they owned a home together. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes a little sense. Well, and by the point that they're at right now, by the time this conference is and by the time they break up, they're upside down on their mortgage because they bought at the height. So they couldn't even sell the house and split up. So they were still living together, but she was dating Travis over the phone, I guess. And like we had talked about before, her kind of being a chameleon, within two months she converted to Mormon, to LDS. Like, that's yeah. quick. That's, pre- that's pretty quick, yeah. Yeah. And she is obsessed with Travis right from the get-go. And he's very attracted to her, but doesn't know if she's marriage material. And this is where... Things get very messy. Very messy, but very interesting, too. Yes. Because Jody and Travis officially started dating in the beginning of 2007. And they start having their little weekend rendezvous. They, you know, they start having a sexual relationship, which is totally against the Mormon religion. Both of their religions at this point. Yeah. So they kept that a secret, but it was kinky, to put it absolutely mildly. There yeah. were tons of sexting and phone sex going on here and in between weekend trips and things like that. Their relationship really seems like it's almost solely based on sex. And again, Jody was obsessed with Travis and she wanted to marry him. But Travis was still talking to other women, trying to find that one good, pure Mormon wife, even though that's not the life he's leading at all. But it was becoming more and more clear that the more she gave him sexually the less likely he was going to see her as marriage material. Definitely. Because it was technically against their religion. And religion plays a huge role in this story. And I don't love it. Just because, I mean, neither one of them were living the life they were publicly portraying. Right. They were both very different in private. Yeah. So when Jody found out that he was still pursuing other women, she broke up with him in June of 2007. So they've known each other less than a year And they dated for like less than six months. So I don't think this breakup went the way she thought it was going to go. I think it backfired a little bit. I think she thought she was going to break up with him and he was going to come crawling back to her. But he didn't. And this is... Sounds like she was almost solving a problem for him that he was trying to, you know, get rid of in some way. Yeah. And this is when Jody does what any normal person in a long distance relationship that doesn't work out does. She moved to Mesa. After they broke up. <laughs> that's that's the normal thing to do after you break up with somebody long distance. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, if that was an option, why didn't you move to Mesa while you were dating? Yeah, exactly. She made it. I mean, she made that turn pretty quick. Like, goodness sakes. So anyway, after she moves to Mesa, he's still dating other Mormon women and trying to find his wife. And, you know, because they're not young. They're pushing 30, which is quite frankly, old for LDS to get married and start a family. Like, it was kind of like, okay, get the show on the road. So he's dating other women. She doesn't love this. And she starts showing up at his house and throwing herself at him. And she did real psycho shit. Like, she would break in through the dog door and climb in his bed naked and just throw herself at him. On the surface, that does sound pretty bad. I get it. But as a guy... 
it wouldn't be the worst and I wouldn't be that mad. So Well, at first, especially I can see why. At, well, at first, and he's still really into her. So it's not like this isn't unwelcomed. It's just she has to push more than she probably wants to. But he clearly doesn't mind. Well, at first, I think he doesn't mind. But it does start to get, right. you know. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes she would just break in and sleep on his couch. You know, she would hack his email and Facebook and read his journals. Travis even told his friends that Jody slashed his tires not once but twice and would threaten women that he dated so at that point that's too far slashing of tires is very scary stuff like I don't think we talk about that enough but like to actually slash somebody's tires oh it takes a lot of effort it's a pretty violent act you know you have to put some serious stabbing into that. Yes, so do. that's a bit concerning right there. Yeah, it's not as easy as like the movies make it seem. They don't just touche like it's And threat threatening the women that he was dating. I mean, that's yeah. that's when it's like, okay, I got to get out of this. He that's when he should have known I got to do something. She was a stalker, but he kept sleeping with her and welcoming her when she would show up. So this is a real interesting route. It's a real fine line to be walking yeah. for him. This is very flirting with fire because she's doing all this crazy stuff, but then he's like, well, we're still having sex. So she's getting like the affirmation from him that like, I do like you, even though I don't think he did. I think he just liked having sex with her. Yeah. I don't think he really liked her. I think he just was really attracted to her. Yeah. One, I think he was attracted to the fact that she was okay with it being a giant secret. Like, he could totally. have his cake and, and eat it, prob- too. He could play the good Mormon yeah. boy and still be doing kinky sex stuff. Yeah, be- ah, that's so Right, because obviously he was dating other women and still sleeping with Jody. So, right. you know, he would date these good Mormon women, go home, sleep with Jody, and then try to go date more good Mormon women. Right. So, eventually, it seems like Jody got the hint, though, because, you know, she realized that Travis was never going to see her as the marrying type. And she was fun, but he wanted a nice Mormon pure wife so she does the first and probably only normal thing that she does in the history of their relationship or anything that happens after this (laughs) and in april of 2008 (laughs) she moved home to wairika california to live with her grandparents well at least she finally did something but while she was there things were going okay for jody besides a break-in that was reported in may where her grandparents reported like to police that a handgun and some cash had been stolen that they kept in the home. Other than that, though, she was spending time with family and she had just started dating another guy who lived in Salt Lake City, Utah. Then on June 2nd, Jody rented a car in Redding, California to take a trip to Salt Lake City to visit this new boyfriend. She drove to Monterey to her ex-boyfriend's Daryl's house and borrowed two gas cans. Then she set off on her trip. Why can't she date a guy near her like why does she have to find somebody who lives far away all the time i have a theory about that because that's how her and travis relationship was was pretty much on the phone yeah. and long distance i feel like maybe there's something about that that draws her to that kind of relationship i don't know when christine and i met i told her it was a good thing she lived on the right side of the freeway otherwise i wouldn't have crossed over because right. it was just too far yeah so meanwhile in mesa travis had started dating and you know he'd met a nice Mormon woman that he liked whose name was Mimi and he was very interested in and they had talked for a while and been on a few dates but it didn't seem to be going anywhere she had made it pretty clear to him that she just wanted to be friends she wasn't interested but he wasn't going to give up that easily 
And he had an all-expenses-paid trip for two to Cancun through his pyramid scheme of a job. (laughs) And he asked her to go with him, and she agreed, because who the hell would turn down a trip to Mexico? But she made it very clear they were going just as friends. (laughs) Oh, man. That's that's funny. That's funny. His pyramid scheme had a trip, and instead of taking the woman that's like throwing herself at him, he was like, hey, what about you? Yeah, what about this girl who doesn't want to Want to just be friends? Yeah, so... Anyway, on June 9th, 2008, Mimi's getting ready to go out on this trip to Cancun with Travis, but she hadn't heard from Travis in a few days and neither had anyone else. So she decided that she needed to go and knock at his house and she knocked, but no one answered. And eventually, after calling a handful of friends to meet her at the house, one of them had the the garage code and was able to open it up and they were able to get in. Yeah. And one of his roommates was actually home, but he was watching a movie or something in his room with his girlfriend. So he didn't hear the door. And when they knocked on his bedroom door, they were like, hey, where's Travis? And what the actual fuck is that smell? (laughs) But the roommate was like, I don't know. I thought he was in Cancun. I haven't seen him in like a week. And they're like, what? Like, are you kidding me? I love how oblivious this guy is to the smell because it can't be just a normal smell. Like, hmm, what's that? And like, wouldn't you investigate? Like, it's only going to get worse. Well. You know, from everyone I've heard from, that smell is a very yeah. But we haven't told the listeners smell. what the smell is yet. So oh, well, I think they I think they got yeah. it. I mean, I think they know where this is going. Well, yeah, this is a murder but, podcast, right? So at this point, the roommate finds the spare key to Travis's master bedroom and unlocks it and goes in, and immediately he sees blood everywhere. Yeah. And when he goes into the master bathroom, he sees Travis covered in blood dead in his shower i can't even yeah could you imagine walking in on your roommate like and i'm sure that smell is probably creeping up a little more and more as they open that door Oh yeah i'm sure but at this point the friends and the roommate call 911 and report that what they found and even in the 911 call the friends mentioned jody by name as his stalker isn't that creepy yeah i know listen to that listen to that call and they're like is anybody that's you know would want to hurt him and be like, yeah, he has an ex named Jody. Yeah. Like, well, it's been shocking. The original call. She, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a little kooky. It is kind of crazy that they just went through this traumatic thing, finding their friend dead. And the first thing that comes to their mind is her. It's like, Ooh, yeah, she must've been pretty yeah, that's Right. That's not a good, good look for her. No. So the investigators show up and they start trying to figure out why, The roommates didn't notice the smell in the fucking house. You know, they've been living in a house with a dead body for five days. Yeah. Like, are you shitting me? Again, that's becoming increasingly worse. How are you not more concerned? No, man. So the only thing I could think of was because maybe he was in the bathroom, in the bedroom, and the door was closed. But still, it's like, ugh. It's bad. So in the yeah, search of the house, they find out that the killer had tried to clean up. They missed a few things in their cleanup, like a bloody palm print <laughs> on the wall and hair and DNA. But they did try to clean up because they found the sheets from the master bedroom in the dryer. They'd been washed. And then in the washer, they found a bunch of towels that had been washed. But mixed in with the towels, they found a digital camera. And I'm like, see, okay, this is good police work. Yeah. First of all, good police work. Second of all, those towels had been in the washer for five days. Yeah, that stinks too. Yeah. 
what were these guys living in? If I leave my clothes in the washer for like a half a day after they're done in the washer, I have to rerun them like three times because I'm convinced they stink. I wonder, were they there the entire time or did their dates overlap a little bit? So maybe they weren't there initially when all this started happening, so they didn't need to wash clothes. Although when you come home from a trip, you normally need to wash clothes pretty immediately, so... Yeah, I don't know. I That's don't know. the other thing. In five days, you guys never had to do a load of laundry? Yeah, I thought about that a lot, too. Like, what do you mean? Like, I have to do laundry at least every fifth day. I don't know. Maybe we're weird. Like, I feel like I do laundry every day in this house. I feel like I do, too, but there's four of us. There's only two of you, so... Yeah. I think you guys do a little bit too much laundry. I, well, I think like... my husband's pretty obsessed with... I don't do any laundry. Matt does oh. all of our laundry. Well, I can't Matt, remember the last time down I the did laundry, a laundry. Little... It's a good thing he travels to work, I guess, so that some breaks in the water bill. Yeah, the laundry builds up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So about that digital camera in the washer, the camera itself was wrecked, but the SD card that was still in it worked perfect. And the detectives used their, you know, tech magic, did whatever they did. Mm -hmm. And they recovered the photos on the SD card. And what they found on the SD card, Erica, was shocking. I know it was shocking. I've seen it. I know. I know you wrote these notes, but there were pictures of (laughs) Travis and Jody in various sexual positions and states of being undressed and, you know, more clothed and whatnot. And then there were a bunch of Travis in the shower and there were a couple of photos taken of of the crime scene. We think probably by accident when the camera dropped or was knocked out out of her hand onto the ground or something like that. But there was even one of Travis's bloody body being dragged back to his bathroom and the leg and foot of the killer whoever it was was in the picture all of these pictures are dated and time stamped so at this point we have a pretty good reference to know that he was murdered right around 5 30 p.m on june 4th yeah like exactly right around 5 30 p.m <laughs> yeah like they know the second <laughs> exactly pretty much it's like, dang and they also know that jody was there at least up until the murder. Yeah, because there's naked pictures of her on there, too. Right, exactly. So, in the meantime, though, while they're doing all of this stuff, the autopsy of Travis is performed. And based on this autopsy, it turns out that he was stabbed 70... That's a lie. That is a lie. (laughs) Based on the autopsy, it turns out that he was stabbed 27 times, his throat was cut ear to ear, and he was shot in the head. This explains why there was so much blood in the room and the bathroom. But also, that's three different ways to kill him. Like, any one of those three things was lethal. Oh, yeah. She was she was out to make sure the job got done. Yeah, like 27 times you were stabbed in the neck and the back and the chest. Like, are you kidding? And then your throat and cut I, ear to ear. And I know it was five days since it happened, but we've looked at some of these crime scene photos and... This is kind of what we do. We look at crime scene photos all the time. Dead bodies, people mutilated, things like that. It is what it is. This one stuck with me. I still think about it. So I really don't recommend anybody going and looking unless you're for sure wanting to see this because it is startling and it stays with you. Yeah, it's bad. It really is. It's very bad. Just violent. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. The investigators immediately start looking into Travis's roommates and friends, and they clear them, but a lot of them had implicated Jody. Yeah, and but you know what? I can understand why they're looking into the friends and roommates, because who the fuck's living in a house with not only laundry yeah. that's been in the washer for five days, but a body for five days? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I, absolutely. So, absolutely, it makes sense. I'm, but they cleared him right away, so. But as they were looking into Jody, 
This idiot calls the cops to let him know that she wants to help as much as possible in the investigation. Well, that makes sense. Of course you do. Yeah. Man. Killers of course always want to put themselves in the... Exactly. They want to know like, what oh, the let cops me help you know. drive the car. She even came to Mesa to give her fingerprints and DNA. Yeah. Idiot. I know. I'm like, you moron. Uh, you know you didn't so wear d- You did it. You did this crime. Yeah. We know it. You know it. Fucking lawyer up, uh, man. Uh, it would be a few weeks before all the evidence comes back, but when it does, surprisingly, it all points to Jody. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> the palm print, the hair, the blood, and the pictures on the SD card all point back to Jody. Right. And <laughs> she just wanted to help. Yep. So the investigators are taking a road trip to Wairika pretty quick. They're like, well, I guess <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to go talk to Jody for some pretty obvious reasons. She might know something. Yeah. So they pull her in for questioning. And at this point, it's been like a month since the murder. And she sticks to her gun. She says she was nowhere near Arizona on June 4th. She says she went to Southern California. She hung out with friends for like a day or so. And then it took her two days to drive to Salt Lake City, where her new boyfriend says she did arrive on June 5th. But there's a huge issue with this because Southern California is nowhere near on your way to Salt Lake City from Wairika. So that's way out of the way. Way out of the way. Secondly, even if you're like, well, I have five days off work, so I'm just going to go visit my friends down here and then go visit my boyfriend up here. Okay. But the problem with that is that Salt Lake City is only like a 12-hour drive from Southern California. So her story was that she got lost and slept in her car for like 36 (laughs) hours. These lies aren't even good. Like, she's not even trying. I know. But she also says that she borrowed the gas cans from her ex-boyfriend because gas was cheaper in California. And then she wouldn't have to stop anywhere and get gas, which is total bullshit because everybody knows that gas is cheaper in Nevada, Arizona, and Utah than it is in California. Like, that's common knowledge. Yeah, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything that's cheaper out here. Nothing. I do. When we go visit you, we make sure we... What is it? Weed. Weed. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Weed is cheaper here than it is anywhere else. Cool. We have that to claim. Great claim. Do the kids still call it weed? Well, I haven't checked with today's youth, but I would think they call it, you know, weed or pot or... Okay. Well, because I was like, do we sound like old people that were like, oh, weed. The weed. I think... I call it the pot. Call it the weed. Yeah, the pot. I think it's fine. Okay, good. I'm like, we could be like 70s old people and be like, the reefer. Ooh, I like it. Reefer madness? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I believe... The only thing we have out here that is cheaper is weed. Yeah. And yet we have to pay more for for gas. Well, cool. you pay more for everything. That's what I'm saying. Weed is the only thing I can think of that's cheaper in California than it is anywhere else. Like, So that lie, like you said, her lies aren't even good. Like, if you're going to say something about the gas cans, just be like, I, I'm a girl alone driving on a road trip. I didn't want to stop at a creepy gas station in the middle of the night. That is a good one. Good job. Was that off the top of your head? No, but I've taken gas cans oh. on road trips by myself before. Not to kill anybody, yeah. but just so you don't have to stop. Oh, I've never thought to do that. Yeah. Well, that's because you're not a girl driving alone at night. That's true. Like, girls have to plan for shit like that. I know. Sorry about that. So that we don't end up on a murder podcast. <laughs> I'd cover your case so well. Oh, would you? Well, well enough. I don't know who you would get to co-host so, it with you. Probably Ashley Flowers. So, <laughs> also... <laughs> okay. So, also, when, we, when she got to Salt Lake City, the boyfriend realized that she was a brunette, and last he had known of her, she was a blonde. Oh, so that's probably a big that surprise. Was a little <laughs> He's like... 
Um, it probably is, but it's probably not something that stands out to him very quickly. Cause I would be like, excuse me, my girlfriend's blonde. I don't even like brunettes. Like, what the hell? People change their hair colors, though. So I don't think he even noticed. I don't yeah, think probably. this was a red flag to him. I mean, knowing what we know now, yeah, sure. But at the time, he was probably just like, oh, great. You changed your hair color. That's wonderful. You look beautiful. Do you know what I think with Jody? I really think she think watched like bad, scary movies. And she's like, oh, when people are on the run, they dye their hair. Like, what did that have to do with anything? <laughs> you think she was watching Scream? Yeah. Like, I don't know what that had to do with anything. Well, I think just so. Yeah, that's a good point because who was she trying to blend in or something? She went to the cop. She told him who she I was. Know. I'm like, what? What do I gotta do? Just look at the hair. Like, oh man, she's a brunette. This one was a blonde yeah, hair. Whatever. It, they won't match. Anyway, the weird thing though was that she had cuts and band aids on her hands, and she says that she got them bartending. So, <laughs> I mean, again, these lies aren't even good. No. But at this point. Detective Flores knows that J- Jody did this. Yeah. He has pictures, DNA, finger I just fingerprints, hair. <laughs> he knows her cell phone was turned off from when she left Southern California to when she was almost a Salt Lake City. And even the palm print in blood on the wall. Right. But and give credit to Jody because she didn't budge and she swears she was never in Arizona. The detective even shows her the nude photos and she tries to play it off that, that his timestamp on his camera was off. <laughs> of all things. Of all things. That's what I'm saying. I feel like she just like watched a bad like horror movie and she's like, nope, nope. It's like, also ask for a lawyer, you idiot. But she doesn't. Yeah. She just swears she never went to Arizona, even though there was like a 36 hour gap in her fucking alibi. And yeah. <laughs> what happened here? I was lost. Yeah. So Jody's fucked at this point, but you wouldn't know it watching her because the detective tells her she's being arrested for murder. And this bitch asks if she can touch up her makeup before they take her mugshot. I love that. I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, first of all, after you murder somebody and you know the cops are onto you because you've given your DNA and fingerprints to the cops who are investigating <laughs> the murder you did, wouldn't you think you would just be wearing makeup all the time if you were that shallow? I would just be wearing makeup all the time in case they came and got me. Uh, I can see that. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what yeah. you're saying. I just think this is so funny, though, that she just she was just trying to be so, like, helpful. <sighs> and she just walked into it. Like, just distance yourself. Go away. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Who? Travis? I don't know anything about that. But, nope, she, like, walked right into face it. first yep. into this. So this is how self-absorbed and vain and shallow she is. And obviously, Detective Flores was like, oh, no, we're just going to book you on the murder charges. And in her (laughs) mugshot, she smiles for the camera. It's like, you do understand you're being arrested for murdering your boyfriend, right? And you're claiming you didn't do it. Yeah, this is the weirdest. It is so off. This is not time to be happy. It is. It's so weird. Her mood is so off. So anyway... Before they take her to the clink, she's in the interrogation room. You know how they like leave the them clink. alone. And <laughs> the clink. Wait, you don't call it the clink? Oh, what are you? What are you? A nineteen twenties drunk? Oh, I don't know. I th- I don't know. I just go to the clink tonight. <laughs> anyway, you know how they leave them in the interrogation oh, yes. room and then they video them to like see what kind of stupid shit they do. Well, Jody yeah. was a hoot. 
because she was doing like yoga poses, like headstands up against the wall. She was singing Christmas carols in July, which should be a crime all on its own. Like, I think she was charged for that, actually. I think yeah. I saw that. She was charged she for been. singing Christmas carols she in July. Been. But she was like talking to herself and stuff in the interrogation. She was calling herself a brat. And she said, oh, you should have totally put makeup on Jody, you brat. Like weird stuff. Like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, ugh. she's losing I it. I don't. It's she's awkward. Oh, it's totally. But they let her spend the night in jail again before they tried to interview her. And my goodness, what one night in jail can do for a story. <laughs> she was sing she was singing a whole new song and it wasn't a Christmas carol. Nope. It was a Dido song, actually. It was a Dido song. <laughs> in the day two of the interrogation yeah. room. Great. Yeah. Was it was it that one with Eminem? No, it was some other one, other one that nobody, nobody knows. knows, yeah. So now her story is she not only was there, she witnessed the murder. She says that she was taking pictures of Travis in the shower when, out of nowhere, a man and a woman came in and shot him. They stabbed him and they slit his throat. And then they let her live because they looked at her ID and car registration. And they knew her address and they told her that if she told a soul, they would come kill her too. That sounds like something people who ruthlessly kill people would do is look totally. at your ID card. And just say, leave eyewitnesses. Yeah. Just card you before they go and say, I know your address. Yeah. You can't move. Yeah. Now. That sounds like cold blooded assassins. <laughs> yeah. She, totally. Out for blood. So this story became known as the ninja theory and she would tell it over and over and over for the next five years to anybody who would listen to her. She granted every media interview that asked her to do one like everyone i'm pretty sure if we had a podcast back then she probably would have talked to us is it too late do you think she stopped talking <laughs> i don't know if she's allowed to anymore because now she's been convicted yeah i know i thought about that too but, but but she's so vain and self like she goes on every tv thing that she can she just wants to get her story out there she tells this ninja story and even in the five years before they go to trial, the ninja story even evolves. Like, it started out one way, and then she gets in a fight with the woman, and she's pushing her off, and she's fighting him, and she's yelling at Travis, let's go, let's run, and he's like, bitch, I've been shot in the head. I'm not running anywhere. Her story <laughs> totally just, like, it evolves over, like, the five years. It's really insane. She may be a hero after all of this. You never know. Well, to hear her tell it by the end of it, she was a hero. <laughs> So it took five years to take all of this to trial, and it was worth the wait. <laughs> the shenanigans and the interviews she gave are insane. Prosecutor Juan Martinez really did have his job cut out for him, and by the time the trial started in January of 2013, she was already the most hated woman in America. Yeah. And the state had already decided to seek the death penalty. Yeah, but that complicated things a bunch because the state would have to prove premeditation not just like heat of the moment, crime of passion. And that made it a little harder for them seeking the death penalty, but they thought it was worth it. And the court was flooded with people. People were literally like fighting over seats to get to this trial. That's insane. That's insane that people wanted to be in the courtroom yeah. for this kind of stuff so badly. Well, and that's why HLN carried the trial. They covered the trial. Yeah, I remember it was a huge deal. People really cared about what was going on. It was on the news every night. Yeah. It was front page you know, stories and whatnot. So when the trial starts, the state opens up with their theory that Jody killed him in a planned, calculated attack. But when Jody's attorney started stating their case, it was obvious from the start that her story was going to change yet again. She now is claiming that Travis was abusive to her physically 
and sexually and he was a pedophile and she killed him in self-defense because he was attacking her <laughs> yeah so the ninja theory's out <laughs> ninja theory is that out. she's literally been saying for five years now she's a battered woman so this is this is getting interesting it took her a long time to get there i would have thought that would have been more like first second story but oh do you know why it took her so long to get there because she didn't get there until she had a lawyer. If she would have called a lawyer the first day, ah, uh, she would have been there. I mean, I'm not. I'm glad she didn't. I'm glad she I mean, talked. But to the why? Cops. Like, wh- yeah. But what reason would you have to not hire a lawyer at this point? Like, all signs are pointing to. Yeah, you should probably get a lawyer now. Well, she just Jody is very articulate and very manipulative, but she's not very smart. That's true. I, it's weird because she's she speaks like she is, but she's really not. So the trial is really where we learn, like, what really actually probably happened. And according to the state's argument, Jody and Travis had been talking again after the breakup and after she had moved to California after the crazy stalking and all that stuff. They started talking again and phone sex and planning trips to see each other. And it's like, dude, she left. You got away from her. What are you doing? But they were. And Jody even recorded one of these phone sex sessions that they played in its entirety in open court at the trial. And it is awkward as it gets. Can you imagine being in court no. with a room full of people and you're sitting there and they have to play that for the entire room and you just have to sit there and relive all of that? No. And it's so uncomfortable. Like... Her family's there, his family's there, the lawyers. It was so uncomfortable, the judge had to, like, give a precursor. Like, hey, we're going to play this audio. If you're uncomfortable with it, you need to leave because there'll be no reactions. And everybody sat there silently. Like, it was weird. And it, it, it was just, the call itself was weird. They both sound very immature. Like, when you listen to it, you're like, are these 30-year-olds or are these 12-year-olds? Like, I don't get it. Like, they they don't sound like adults. And I I will be the well, first you... to admit, like, I don't, phone sex is not really my game. So I don't know. Like, I guess maybe <laughs> this is how it works. But they would be, like, talking normal. And then they'd be, like, doing awkward moaning things. And then they'd be, like, singing Alanis Morissette. And it's like, what is happening here? Because Alanis Morissette has you, never come you, into my sex life ever. You ought to know. Like. <laughs> Like, isn't that, like, I don't, do you think it was a normal call? No, no, it really was uncomfortable to listen to. But the thing to me that makes it the most uncomfortable is at one point he says to her that she was moaning like a 12-year-old girl having her orgasm for the first time. And one, that's disgusting on every level. And it doesn't help him not sound like a pedophile because he's saying these words. Those words come out of his mouth. So... Maybe that's the lawyer spinning it and telling her, hey, Jody, tell him that, tell everyone that he's a pedophile because he's not doing himself any favors by saying that. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's more than awkward. It's, yeah. It's terribly uncomfortable. No, it's disgusting. And some of the stuff that they said to each other was foul as shit. Like, we're not even going to repeat it on this podcast because it's disgusting. It's not even like at the point where it is, it's not even kinky. It's just gross and weird. Yeah, you're in Christine's mom listens to this. We can't have that kind of stuff on here. No, I wouldn't say it out loud. Like, I wouldn't. Those words aren't going to come out of my mouth. Some of the stuff that they were talking about (laughs) to each. I'm like, no, that's not happening. So it's like, that's what I'm saying. It's not even like kinky or hot. It's like, this is weird. Yeah, it really is. 
it's all very strange stuff. It's twisted. But. It's twisted as shit. And I feel like part of it is because of the whole, like, they have all this, like, self-loathing because of the religion. Like, this is against their religion. But then they're doing it anyway. Yeah. And they're not just doing it. They're, like, doing it grossly. <laughs> like. <laughs> Uncomfortably. Yeah. Like. And it's like, do whatever you want that makes you happy. But, like, if it's not making you happy and it's against your religion and it's making you feel like crap, stop doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so back to the state's version about what happened. We learned they were back to talking at least. But then, June 2nd, Jody drives to Redding, California, rents a car, then drives south to spend the night at Daryl's, her ex-boyfriend. Then she borrows two gas cans from Daryl and fills them up in Pasadena, California, whoop, whoop, <laughs> on the third and and heads out. This is when she also turns her phone off. So she filled up at an Arco gas station in Pasadena, California. Is that the Arco that you found our sticker at? Yeah, I think it is. Well, um, I found it. I did find it in, in Pasadena at an Arco, so okay. I can't promise. But Well, hey. I'm sure there's more than one Arco in Pasadena, but we're just going to say it's the same one. And I'm sure there's people putting our stickers everywhere, so <laughs> it could be. I figured that was you or your wife. Uh, I'm not saying it wasn't either that, but I'm not <laughs> saying it was or it wasn't. Yeah. So she arrives at Travis's early in the morning on June 4th, which is kind of awkward. It's like, what the fuck time did she leave Pasadena? Yeah, really weird time. Because it says that she got to... Travis is somewhere around three or four in the morning on June 4th. It's like, what did she leave at 10 o'clock at night or midnight? Like, it doesn't take that long to get to Mesa. Like, no, that seems... but she's already doing weird stuff. So just, yeah, that just you know, seems weird to on like, that path. start out on a road trip in the middle of the night. That seems kind of stupid. But anyway, yeah. they spend all day in bed doing things that Mormons are super not allowed to do. And <laughs> we know this for sure because of all the pictures they took of themselves doing it. And around 530, there are pictures of Travis in the shower. And this is where the state believes that she attacked him, stabbing him 27 times in the back, chest, neck, and head. Then she slits his throat from ear to ear and then shot him in the head for good measure. Yeah. So then there are a few blurry pictures of Travis's bloody body being drugged back into the shower, which we kind of touched on before. And she puts the sheets in the washer, cleaned up some of the blood, then put the sheets in the dryer, put all the bloody towels in the wash and the digital camera and turned it on and left. About six hours after the murder, she turned her phone back on and called Travis and left him a nonchalant voicemail about how she got lost in the desert And she's sorry she isn't going to make it to Mesa on her way to Salt Lake City. Obviously, Mesa is nowhere near on the way to Salt Lake City. Yeah, but I think what that phone call was was just like her being like, oh, I'm not going to make it. Like trying to be like all not like they had plans to meet up and she didn't make it, even though she did. Right. She did. I know. I know. So she arrived in Salt Lake to visit the boyfriend that she originally set out to see on this batshit road trip that she's taking. And she arrived there on June 5th and she hung out with him, had sex like it was normal, and then just leave Salt Lake City early the next morning. I'm like, you did this whole four day road trip to spend less than 24 hours in Salt Lake City? Yeah, she just needed to get up there to say, to like, to confirm her alibi that she was there. Like, yeah. that's all she really cared about. She didn't care about seeing this guy. Yeah, which is really just stupid to get up there. because I'm, I feel like. Her alibi would have been better if she just left California, drove straight to Arizona, did this, and drove straight back to California. Probably, yeah. Like, this road trip is what made her be an idiot. Yeah, of course. There's so much going on with the road trip and so much time loss and stuff. Yeah, she absolutely shoots herself in the foot with that. But Jody's defense is 
pretty much the same story except that he attacked her in the shower and that's why she killed him and it wasn't planned it was in the heat of the moment kind of a thing which none of the evidence backs up the trial goes on forever jody herself testifies for 18 days yeah and makes and this makes for some pretty intense moments yeah you know what's funny is like researching this case and have like watching a lot of that trial testimony and stuff after like 20 minutes of her talking i'm like I want to shoot you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. It's I can't I imagine you. having to listen to her for 18 days. Like she is so nails on the chalkboard, not even like the sound of her voice or anything, just what she says. Yeah. And I think too, you have a hard time hearing it because it's pretty open and shut. We kind of know what happened and why, Yeah, but you know, why would it, we know what happened now? So it is probably harder for us to think about it. I imagine, I don't know, that's two over two weeks of just listening to her talk. Oh, I know. And the prosecutor, Juan Martinez, he's a little guy, but he's fierce as shit and he's <laughs> relentless. And he just gives it to her, like on the stand, calling her out on her bullshit and her lies. And they go back and forth and she challenges him and he tells her she's stupid pretty much. Like, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> like, there was points where she was like crying and he started like kind of yelling at her and he's like were you crying when you shot him were you crying when you stabbed him were you crying when you slit his throat and this bitch was like i don't know i'm like oh my god you don't know or you don't remember or you don't recall that's like all she said the whole 18 days she was in a fog she can't remember but because she says i don't know he starts asking her if she has memory problems and she's like what do you mean and he's like is this of recent vintage that's a quote from him and she's like what do you mean reason? He's like, oh, I don't know. Since you started testifying. <laughs> Some of these moments were like pretty good. I was like, Juan, you're pretty funny. Good job, Juan. I know. I'm like, he should, he's, I mean, I think he's doing good in his career, but I'm like, you could have had a, you could have gone another way with that. <laughs> yeah. There was just crazy stuff that went on in this trial. Like it was just day after day. There was always something to like report about. Like there was a juror that got dismissed because they got a DUI during the trial. Oh my gosh. I know. Exes were testifying about different interactions with them and Travis. And it, it was intense. A lot of it. And he was even asking her like, what was the point of leaving a dead man a voicemail? Like if you didn't plan this and it wasn't, you know, like it wasn't premeditated. What was the gas cans about? What was leaving him a voicemail? And it's like, she doesn't have any answers for this. So she just like says she's in a fog and, you know, she's trying to like play the battered woman that like snapped and fought back. So she's trying to act like meek and mild. But then when she'd go at it with Juan, he did like a super awesome job of like bringing out her true colors. Like she's a bitch. <laughs> Like, she was not, like, this little meek and mild battered woman. Like, she was a fucking bitch. Like, there's no other word. She was a bitch. <laughs> After four months of, of this charade, Juan gives his closing arguments, and then Jody's attorneys gives his closing arguments, and he even says, it's not about whether you like her or you don't like her. Nine days out of ten, I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he says yeah. that. So it's like he knows that people hate her. And it's going to be hard to get these people not to convict her, but he's got to be, like, doing something because he doesn't want her to get the death penalty. Like, we all know, you know. Yeah, because it was never really a question of if she did it, just whether or not it was premeditated is right. really what we're trying to come up with. So the jury deliberated for a while, like 15 hours or something like that, and comes back with a guilty of first-degree premeditated murder 
and a bunch of them voted guilty on felony murder. So now the penalty phase begins, which in Arizona is decided by a jury trial. So, Which is a lot to put on other people, by the way. I think a jury trial is so much to put on just regular peers that are out. Like, I just... I just feel like that is such um, so much pressure to put on somebody. Yeah. Like, but it's a heavy burden, which is why yeah. it's a heavy burden to to prove it, to get it. So, yeah. Like you know, it's not it doesn't it's not supposed to come easily. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. that and makes sense. I mean, it's not one of those things that should just come easily. So this penalty phase starts, and Travis's siblings give their victim impact statements, and they're pretty clear that they wanted the death penalty. Like, they gave interviews and stuff. They're like, yep, we wanted her to die. So, can't blame them. You can't, no. But Jody, when talking to the media in her countless interviews from, like, the five years before the trial, always said that if she was convicted of Travis's murder, she wanted the death penalty because it was the ultimate freedom and she just wanted her freedom. But yeah. now the time's here and she's, like, 180 and is pleading for the jury to spare her life. The reasons that she gave them to spare her life were the most bananas things I can even, like, <laughs> to me, it's like, yeah, plead for your life. I get it. You don't want to die. But she literally was like, I designed this shirt, which was not a design. <laughs> it was a white shirt with the word survivor on it. And she's Ooh. like, I designed this shirt and all the proceeds are going to go to victims of domestic violence. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, you didn't design What a that. hero. What oh, a hero. I know, right? And then another one of her reasons for them sparing her life is because she's been growing her hair and cutting it and donating it to Locks of Love. So if they give her the the death penalty, she won't be able to donate her hair to Locks of Love. Well, I guess it worked because they came back deadlocked. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. But I don't think that's what worked. I think her being on the stand for 18 days, I think those people could not kill her. Maybe. Right. They, it humanized her. Absolutely. Yeah. And they have to ha be unanimous for the death sentence. So it was right. a hung jury and the judge declared a mistrial. So here we go. We have to do it all again. Yep. And the second penalty trial ends the same way, but closer. It was like 11 to 1 for the death penalty. So she really snuck way by by the skin closer. of her teeth yeah. here. So in Arizona, though, you only get two shots. So the judge had to do the sentence because... They tried for the death penalty twice. They couldn't get it. So then now the judge has to decide if she gets life with or life without parole. And the judge sentences her to life without. I think that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, so. absolutely. After she went to prison, her brother started selling her artwork to pay to go visit her. <laughs> and she's tried appealing a few times. And thankfully, they've all been denied. <laughs> They're not going to let her out. But No. So let's talk about what we think happened here. What do you think actually happened? See, this is where I kind of go back and forth because I do think it was premeditated big time. I think the gas cans, turning her phone off, like she did so many things to make sure that she wasn't caught in Arizona, like on cameras or at gas pumps or receipts and all that stuff. So I think in a way it was very premeditated. But I really, I don't know. My theory has always kind of been that she heard about this trip to Cancun and that he was taking another woman and she was just like, fuck it, I'm going to go to Arizona. I'm going to tell him, take me, be with me, whatever. And if he doesn't, I'm going to kill him. I think she went there with like the plan to kill him if the visit didn't go the way she wanted it to go. So you think she walked in to, and gave him an ultimatum, either take me or you know, this is over. And then once he didn't say, I'm going to take you, she said, okay, your life's over. You think that's what happened? 
Kind of. Yeah, I really do. Or once she got there for their secret rendezvous, then he said something that made her snap or she found out about the Cancun trip and that she wasn't going and then she snapped. The problem with that is all the premeditation. Like she knew that there shouldn't be a trace of her going to Arizona that weekend. I think you're right. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. So like the snapping in the heat of the moment doesn't make sense. Like she had a plan. No, that doesn't. Right. And I mean, I think it, I think there's a lot of evidence to back up that she had a plan between turning her cell phone off, having extra gas cans, you know, 36 hours unexplained. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think an ultimatum would even make a lot of sense too on that. But, Mm -hmm. and I don't know why, but I can't find it anywhere. Like the weirdest thing about the whole thing to me is that they never found the knife and they never found the gun. Yeah. I've thought about those too. And she was able to get rid of those. Why didn't she put the fucking camera with the knife and the gun. I've never understood why she left the camera. As a photographer, she had to know that those pictures were recoverable. Yeah, you would... De- well, as a photographer, I don't know how much of a photographer she actually was, but you're right. She should know at least those kind of bare basics. But again, she just killed somebody. She may not have even realized that the camera was in those sheets and just put it all in there. It started the wash and, and gone. Yeah, and that's true. Prob- and the haste may- and maybe didn't even up. think about the camera again. Maybe she did and didn't know where it was and just said, okay, I got to go. But it yeah, might've just been happenstance that accidentally got in there. I think what happened, what we know and what the, the state portrayed, I think that's pretty close to what happened. Yeah. Uh, I think that these two were just enthralled with each other in a very toxic animalistic yeah and toxic but animalistic way like i don't think they even really liked each other travis very well may have loved her and maybe that's why he couldn't give up on her you know maybe yeah, he maybe. did want something with her but he just knew that he couldn't have what he wanted because according to his faith yeah she wasn't the type of woman i don't know i think that both of these people are living double lives and liars and cheaters and adulterers and everything yeah. I don't think what happened to him is, was deserved and all that, but no, I don't think. No, we're not that, victim blaming at all or anything, but not they at definitely all. But both made poor choices at every turn. Well, and I think his poor choices because he loved her, yeah, is kind of what led to this. You know, like because I think if he had not cared about her as much, because I do think it was very passionate and things like that. But I think he really did care about her. If he hadn't, then I don't think he would have continued allowing her back time and time again yeah i don't know what it was that drove him crazy about her but there was definitely something about it maybe it was just the attention well you know, maybe she i, I just think a lot of it was the attention. sex i mean well true he for was sure. getting something from her that he wasn't getting from anybody else that he was dating you know very true and, and that's the attention i mean it's physical attention of but of yeah. course yeah i also think that if she was a man and she killed her boyfriend like if this was opposite roles like totally if everything that happened in this story was exactly the opposite i feel like she would have got the death penalty probably absolutely yeah and i feel like that's part of what happened in this story too like if jody was a man and she was doing slashing tires sneaking into his girlfriend's house you know what i mean like the stuff that she was doing if she would have been a man like you would have a restraining order in a heartbeat like i don't think people took it seriously enough because she was a woman and i think too like you're right it rolls reversed i mean i think people in her life would have stepped up and been like hey like we'll help you we'll get you you know the protection you need like that kind of stuff but because it was a man, mm-hmm. they, you know, they knew he, that she was stalking him. It was pretty clear. Everybody knew that, you know, they implicated her at the very beginning with the 911 call. Right. But I just think that the physical threat wasn't like, I don't think. True. They, no. Yeah. I agree. 
I don't think they looked at it like, oh my God, she's going to kill him. But although I've heard people say that they were like, hey, we're going to find you chopped up into her freezer someday, like in a joking way. But I think that it wasn't taken as seriously as it should have been. Like this behavior is big time red flags. Like if you're dating somebody that does this kind of shit, get the fuck out. (laughs) Immediately. Yeah. And stop sleeping with them. Also good. Life rule nine. actually. Yeah. Because it's like there were so many chances for them to disconnect. You know, her moving back to California, her never living in Arizona to begin with. Like, there were so many chances for this to end without it getting to this point, but they just couldn't let it go. It's really kind of, ugh. Yeah. It's gross. It's creepy. It's weird. But that's why we covered it. Yeah. Makes you glad you're not single, huh? <laughs> they met in person, too. That's not even online dating. You usually think if you're going to meet somebody off online, they're going to kill you. But these guys met in person. Yeah, but I will say they met at a at a convention for a pyramid scheme. So I mean, that's true. Bottom of the barrel, it. people. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that, but that's what I'm thinking. Oh man, I wish you could say it, but all these fucking Arbon people will be nuts. Oh. Do you know people who like get involved in this kind of shit? They're not oh, like the sharpest yeah. tools in the shed. No, fucking Arbon chicks are all over that stuff. You know, like oh, it's. It's not a pyramid. It's multi-level marketing. Like, oh, how does it work? Well, I start selling something, and then I get a team of people underneath me who start selling something, and then, and then they, they build their team teams up. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, ah, oh, and where are you? At the- oh, well, I'm on the top, and I have all these people behind me. Oh, so it's shaped like a what? Um, yeah. like a triangle. You want me to, uh, okay. you want me to draw this out or what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Michael <laughs> Scott, let me draw this for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what i think of (laughs) yeah anyway well it was great to get back into season two buddy glad to be back into the thick of it and just going forward again again thank you to everybody who has followed us and listened and cared about what we're doing we've been having so much fun and it's because of you that we get to keep having fun so thank you so much yeah and if you guys have any case suggestions for the rest of this season we've gotten a lot of good suggestions um through emails and on instagram and but we're still open to more because we don't know how many episodes season two is going to be because we're not that committed to it. I'm pretty committed to it. No, I'm kidding. We're super oh. committed to it. We already know our first, like, I don't know, 27 cases. But yeah, we don't know what season three is going to look like yet. Yes. And four we're still and open five for and six. suggestions. We want to do what you want to hear. Yeah. So don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. Mostly iTunes because I think that's the only one you can rate on. <laughs> I think so. And, so. uh, don't forget to come to our Instagram at From Crime to Crime and leave a comment on your theory about Jody Arias and her lunacy. Just tell us what you think. We'd love to talk to you guys on there and just have that kind of dialogue going back and forth. So. All right, buddy. All right. I think that's it for this one. Okay. I'll talk to you next week. All right. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.